Welcome to the Get Heard with Ian Roth podcast, where it is our mission to enable leaders to effectively engage and motivate their audience through written and verbal communication. Hey, everybody, how's it going? This is Ian with the Get Heard podcast. Today, I have a really awesome guest. Been trying to get him on the show for a couple months now, and our schedule is finally lined up. So, Matt Dooley, former Pittsburgh Steelers long snapper, talking about the impact that coaches and mentors can have on our lives and how important of a role that those ladies and gentlemen play on our development and our upbringing, and then us eventually passing on that knowledge to the next generation. So hope you enjoyed today's episode with Matt Dooley. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Get Heard podcast. I have a really awesome guest today who we've been trying forever to get on the show and our schedules just haven't matched up. So he's finally here, former professional long snapper for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Indiana University alum and co-owner with his wife, Jordan, of the Dooley Collective. Matt Dooley, how you doing, man? Great, Ian. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And finally, the stars aligned and we're able to We'll sit down at our computers at the same time and have a conversation. So yeah, and we had to wait till nine o'clock on a Monday night, but we made it happen. Yeah, we made it happen. And I might may or may not have a little espresso here to, to keep me. Awake, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Matt. So again, thanks for joining the show. And so the topic I wanted to ask you about today is the importance of coaches or mentors in our lives. Now, I've been very, very fortunate to have some of the best leaders that I could ever hope to have had in my civilian and now my military career. So in your experience, I guess the first question is how important is a coach for for shaping someone and really maximizing the full potential that someone has? It, it is absolutely critical. Um, you know, speaking as a man, I can say as a young man, um, the coaches in my life were essential to shaping who I am today and really I don't know, coaches and mentors um, can really kind of pull something out of you that maybe your dad um, or your, your mom couldn't um, just because, you know, when you live with them, you hear the same thing over and over again. Sometimes you just have to hear it from the coach. They can tell you the exact same thing and it finally clicks. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's so crucial. It's funny you bring the parent example into here because like as a young angsty teen, I remember that all too well. Like my parents could tell me something and then one of my football or baseball coaches could have told me the exact same thing. And for whatever reason, I would have listened to the coach, even though it was the same message. It's crazy how that is. Oh yeah. Yeah. You take that as gospel and then your parents turn around. They're like, what did he say differently? And it, was, it, it wasn't any differently. They could say it the exact same way, but it's just, I don't know. 
there's something about hearing like getting that same message from a third party but a third party who's also invested in your success as a human being yeah definitely maybe it's because i don't know you're with your parents all the time at that age and you kind of don't you hear them so often that you start to not take what they say seriously when as you're only with your coach for a couple hours throughout the day and when he or she says something it's like oh yeah okay yeah I don't know. Maybe uh, the credibility is a little stronger. I'm not sure. Yeah. And I think especially uh, when it comes to sports, when that person has, you know, experience in that realm, like for me as a football player, um, or even back in high school when I played basketball, uh, I remember my, my JV coach, it was like, he had, you know, you know, I don't even know if he, <laughs> maybe that's a bad example because I don't even know if he played collegiately. Um, but some some people it's like you look at their track record even though your parents know and they have that wisdom it just takes you looking at somebody and saying well they've actually done it you know they've been where i want to go um so yeah i think that that helps as well what are some of the best life lessons that you've learned throughout your career whether it was high school college or professional athletics like what is one of the one or two or or a couple of the just best messages that a coach has told you that you still think of to this day? Gosh, well, I think going back to um, my high school basketball days, my coach um, really emphasized um, the verse in Ecclesiastes that says there's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and enjoy his work. And that's just been something that's been so, it's, it's just been a, a constant thread throughout my life. It's like, no matter what, it's like, you really need to enjoy what you're doing. Um, you want to give a hundred percent and you're not going to enjoy it all the time, but just getting that pleasure out of your work. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's a fuel. It keeps you going. Um, I, I think that, and I think lessons, maybe not so much as what a, a coach specifically said, but what I observed is when you criticize criticize the performance, not the performer. Um, because I've played for coaches who do a really good job of that. And I've played for coaches who do a really poor job of that. And the returns that they get from their players are night and day. You know, the, the one who criticized the performance, um, like you'll, you know, the, the player will be frustrated, but the player knows that you care about them. But if you criticize the person as a human being and you make them feel less than a human being, you're not going to get, you know, the result that you would if you had, you know, just criticize their performance instead. It's kind of like the idea of, you know, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. I really like how you said that. And I haven't heard that perspective of it before. Criticize the performance, not the performer. I mean, I think that's a really good way to look at things. Do you... Do you have any any examples, either from your personal experience or from peers that you've seen that you're willing to share? I've heard some some just crazy stuff, um, you know, from from college coaches to other players that you know, basically, you know, I had I heard a coach tell a guy, um, you know, the equivalent of basically you should you should have never been born, and it's like really like he screwed up a drill, like that's a little bit extreme, like. Yes, he screwed up the drill multiple times. And I get that at certain levels, you know, the stakes are higher and you're not always going to be the most emotionally sensitive. I'm not talking about like 
hurting somebody's feelings but then there's just a general level of human respect um that if you show that to players you're gonna players or uh subordinates whatever it is like you're going to get so much more out of that out of that person so if someone messes something up just say hey you messed this up and here's how you can be better don't just degrade them and humiliate right. them in front of people okay yeah and i mean you you could you could even be straight up and say hey that was horrible like what the heck was that but it's not like you're a piece of garbage <laughs> right like, how could you do that you know it's like yes that like it, it's a fine line like learning to learning to criticize that the performance aspect and the results and just kind of you know people aren't always going to get it right the first time and just kind of giving grace i get that there are some situations where you don't have a second chance um but if people know that you're going to have their back um they're they're going to work harder for you definitely and i've seen coaches and other leaders who try to motivate people that way and I'll tell you what, I mean, that, that only works to motivate like maybe less than 1% of people. I've seen a couple people where that just motivates the hell out of them to do better. But most people, it's just like, you know what, coach pound sand, like, don't talk to me like that. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I've seen that and I've seen coaches, um, just cuss guys out like ruthlessly. And when you're, when you're in college football, they're, they're like, you're going to, uh, you're going to get MF'd every once in a while. Like that's just, it's the nature of the game. It's high stakes. These guys' jobs are on the line and you have to perform, but it's how they do it. It's like, yes, I know I messed up that snap. I will fix it. Sorry, coach. On to the next one. But if it's like you worthless piece of garbage, blah, blah, blah. Like I'm just going to shut down. Like you hear it so often. And I think like there's a time and place for a good, you know, cussing out. I, I think with some people you can you can pull it out uh pull stuff out of people that kind of wasn't there but if you over if you overuse it the words kind of lose their meaning and it just kind of goes in here without the other like it doesn't have that effect like the coaches that really had an effect on me were the ones who wouldn't swear like ever and then when they were mad like you knew you messed up if they were cussing at you you're like oh man like he's really pissed um and so i think Using language is like in, in the right context really matters. Um, because if you're just willy nilly with it, it, it doesn't hold the words lose lose their meaning and they don't hold the weight that they should. Yeah, it's just like anything else. If you overuse something, really anything, it becomes less effective over time. Right. It dilutes it. Yeah. So I mean, I suppose maybe I'm trying to rationalize why some people insist on the swearing and, and degrading. I mean, maybe for, I, I could see in football, the coach's intent there would be like to get you really angry so that you harness that aggression into the next play or something like that. But I mean, kind of like we discussed, I just, that never worked for me personally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I rarely see that work and it's not like you have to like put your arm around them and be like, all right, buddy. Like, go get them on the next one. It's like, you're not going to have that opportunity. It's I, I think, I think seeing the effort put in, it, it's one thing if there's, if there's laziness, like in high school, there was a time where I was ineligible for uh, some basketball games because 
I wasn't doing my homework assignments because I just thought they were done. I hated homework. I would do well on the test. So I'm like, why do I have to waste my time with this homework? And my basketball coach um, ran me until I vomited. And then he ran me again and I like took me out to the baseball field and just had me doing hundred yard wind sprints back and forth. And then it was like push-ups, and then it was sit-ups until I couldn't move, basically. But the lesson he was trying to teach me was there's consequences for your laziness. Like, your actions are affecting the team. And he didn't even really have to say anything. It was, and I, I just had that respect for him because I knew that he cared. So when, he, when I was going through this punishment, I knew that... It wasn't pointless. It wasn't just like he was a sadist and like wanted to see me suffer. He was trying to get me to learn a lesson. And I learned that lesson. I didn't have that issue again. So I'm not saying that like punishment can't be there um, because there are consequences for your actions. But um, I think it's the way you go about it that really, um, really makes a difference. That That's an awesome story. When you look back on that as an adult, like do you maybe as as a teenager in high school, did you understand why he was doing that? Or were you just like bitter and resentful at the time? I think I was bitter and resentful um, up until that moment. And then I was, I was pretty remorseful. <laughs> um, mainly because I just wanted it to stop. <laughs> um, to this day, I still hate running, uh, which is probably why I put on weight since I stopped playing football. But <laughs> no, I mean, it, it definitely had an impact. And this this co- coach Hartman, he, uh, he really cared. He loved the game and he loved his players. And it was like, he would stay up after the game. He would stay up till two in the morning watching film and breaking down the film from the game and gave each player a printout that he would type up of, all right, you did well with this. You need to do better with this. And like time stamped it. Like he was like so passionate that it was like, shoot, coach Hartman's going to run me. Yeah. I mean, I deserve it. Like there was no complaining. It was like, you knew you screwed up and you need to account for that. So, I mean, that just speaks to the respect that this man, that that you guys had for this man, that, I mean, he put all that time and effort and invested that into you guys as young men. And that when you messed up and he put you through a smoke session, I mean, you knew it was pretty justified. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there was no question. Um, you know, contrasting that with um, other coaches that I played for, it was like if they were just in a bad mood, they would run you. If if practice wasn't going exactly how they wanted, it was like, all right, get on the line. And you're like, why, why are we doing this? Um, and another, so I guess this is, this is something else that I learned, um, kind of going off on a little bit of tangent here, but more of like what not to do. Um, the whole idea of punishing everybody for one person's screw up. I believe in individual accountability. So if there's a guy who's skipping class or failing a drug test, like run his ass, don't make everybody else run. Cause we can, yes, you want to hold your teammates accountable, but you, you don't live with them. Like (laughs) you can't monitor them every second of the day. They're going to, if somebody wants to make a dumb choice, they're going to make a dumb choice. Um, and I just remember so many times that we would be forced to run or do extra conditioning or, I mean, it was like senseless stuff 
um, <laughs> because some knucklehead screwed up and it was like this person's dead weight, you know, and granted you can't get cut from a college football team. Um, in most cases, unless you repeatedly violate team rules, but it's like these guys, like if they don't want to be a part of it, like they let, let's just keep moving forward. Um, instead of bringing everybody else, like punishing everybody else because of somebody else's mistakes. I could see how that would make me as, you know, one of the person people doing the right thing, like resentful and bitter. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause it's like, why am I doing, why do I have to do everything the right way? If I'm still going to get punished when I do everything the right way for when somebody doesn't do stuff the right way. But yeah, it, it, it takes away the incentive from the people to actually do well. No. And we, I mean, the military of 10 years ago was big into the group punishment for one person messing up. And nowadays, like with my guys and gals, like we really can't do that anymore. So if one person messes up, maybe we can smoke the group a little bit. But then after that, I mean, we just can't push everybody too far. And we need to focus all of our energy and discipline just on the person that did the infraction. So, right. Because you, you, you can really lose a lot of like you're, you're losing productivity especially if you're in the middle of a season and it's like, you can't be running everybody when you have guys on offense and defense who are playing 60, 65 plays a game. It's like there, you have to taper the punishment and just focus it on the person who's screwing up because otherwise you're going to affect the performance of the whole team based off one person's actions. Yeah. Right. And when you're playing that many plays a game at such a high impact and high pace, level i mean you just yeah like you said it just kills the performance of the whole team the uh so the coach who would just show up and he's pissed for whatever reason and would just have you guys running just because he had a bad day or something like that so i think as a leader and a coach it is important to be somewhat predictable so i i remember as a high school football player showing up and we had a coach that was kind of similar like, oh, no, I wonder what mood coach is in today because, you know, it determines like how how well practice will go or, or how miserable practice will go. So I think predictableness as a coach and a leader is something that is very respectful. And, you know, I appreciated coaches who were predictable. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think you, you really got to know what you're getting um, because some of the coaches I played for, it was like they would be you know, just demeaning you as a human being, like cussing you out, making you feel lower than dirt. And then you would turn around walking off the field and be like, Hey, how's it going? Like all happy and stuff. And you're like, which one am I going to get? Like, if you're going to be a jerk, be a jerk all the time. Don't like be a jerk and then act like a nice guy. Like be consistent. Like that. that's what I, I is that what you mean by predictable? Predictable and consistent. I, I was going along the lines of predictable that, hey, I know if I, if I mess up, X will happen. Like I'll have to run a lap or something as opposed to I'm just showing up thinking everything's all fine and coach is smoking us for like, and we don't even know why kind of deal. Yeah. And because then you get into these practices and you know that um, you're in meetings, coach is already in a mood. So we could have a perfect practice and it's still not going to affect the outcome. We're still going to end up running. You know, it's like you need to you need to balance your criticism with encouragement. It's like the carrot and the stick analogy. Like you need to reinforce good behavior and good performance. Like if you like, I don't know if I ever remember 
my coach saying like in, in college, like that was a great practice. Like everyone was firing all, on all cylinders, you know, and not that we ever had a practice like that. Um, there's, there's never a perfect practice, but I don't ever remember a time where it was like really great work today, guys. Like let's come out again tomorrow and do the same thing. And I think there's the psychology behind that is yes, you don't want people to get complacent, but you also don't want to feel like you're on a treadmill and not going anywhere and not making any progress. Like people need to know that they're making progress and that their work matters. Um, and if you don't reinforce that, then people start losing their purpose and the drive behind what they're doing. Definitely. I mean, you could be working your ass off and if you never just get that little pat on the back, I mean, it is kind of demoralizing, but then at the same time, if you're working your ass off and, you know, randomly unexpectedly coach gives you a pat on the back and says, Hey, good job. I mean, think of like what that does to your, just your ambition and that, that fire burning in your belly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Those, those attaboys can really make a huge difference because you've got like, if you're a leader, like you want that to do that for everybody from the bottom of your organization to the top, uh, lowest man on the totem pole to the, to the brass, you know, it's like, you got to, and not to be like kissing ass, but you need to make people know that they're valued. Like it's cliche, but people, that phrase, it goes, people don't care how much, you know, they want to know how much you care. Like that could not be more applicable in a leadership position. Yeah, definitely. You need to, I mean, you need to reinforce good behavior. And if you never do it, you're, I mean, you're never, your team will never know that they're doing well, but at the same time, you don't want to overdo it where then it it becomes expected and less meaningful. And it's so, I mean, it's just so necessary sports, business, whatever, just reinforce that good behavior when people on your team are doing the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so funny. I have three kids. So like my oldest is in kindergarten and like they're reinforcing good behavior. It's, it sounds so easy. Like, Hey, if you get like a blue happy face, which is like the best happy face you can get. So like a, a near, a near flawless day, it's like, you can play Minecraft, you know? But yeah. Trying to reinforce good behavior. And it's just so hard because she's five and yep. acts like a five-year-old. So I'm like, man, why this would work for me. You know, I'm a 32 year old adult. This would work for me. Why isn't it working for her? But Oh man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those measurables are crucial too, because people have to have clear objectives. Because if you don't, if you're not clear on the objectives, people you you have people who end up just wasting time and are just kind of flailing, and you you feel like you never hit a goal. Like you need to have a bunch of, I guess, measurables like landmarks on the way that you can hit these these uh, these little goals on your way to whatever the big objective is, Um, like kind of little breadcrumbs like the blue smiley face, something like that. Like something that gives you a pot, like some kind of dopamine hit <laughs> where it's like, oh, this is good. I need to do this again. Yes, that's exactly it. And the blue smiley face isn't, isn't doing it most of the time. So we're, right. we got to figure it out. <laughs> it's, it's like more of a dopamine hit for me when my daughter comes home with a blue <laughs> smiley face. Like, I did something right as a parent. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Mrs. That's, Huggins, her teacher. You know, but, that uh, is awesome. But so are any, are any of your coaches that you've had throughout your career, are they still, would you say any of them are, are mentors in your life? Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually, um, 
just worked out with one of them today. Um, he wasn't really a coach, but he was a, he was a mentor of mine. Um, Justin Snow, he was a long snapper for the Indianapolis Colts uh, for 12 years and the Redskins for one year. Um, and he was, he's here in Indy as well. And I actually just linked up with him for the first time in a while. Um, but he was really instrumental in getting, uh, helping me get an opportunity at the next level and preparing me, um, for that huge jump from college football to NFL football as a long snapper. Um, just really showing me the ropes as far as blocking and, um, yeah, I mean, just sat down with him again today because I've, I've been so busy, basically. I feel like the last five years have just flown by, just getting married, moving a bunch of times, um, getting, you know, getting cut right before uh, my wedding and uh, changing jobs. That life has just kind of gotten away from me, and I, I miss that camaraderie, that, um, that locker room atmosphere and the accountability that comes with, you know, working out with your teammates. Um, so I'm actually getting plugged back in with him, getting plugged back in on a workout routine um, to kind of create that accountability again. No, that's awesome. And I like how you kind of said the camaraderie, that's something in the military that is huge. And when a lot of people get out of the military, like they don't so much miss the day-to-day grind, but you know, they miss the camaraderie, being with their buddies, having their shared experiences. So I mean, it's, it's kind of cool to see that there's a parallel to that in what you did and kind of what I do here on the military side. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. When people ask me if I miss playing football, I don't even really miss playing. Like that was, that was fun, you know, but it was just that, that day to day, the locker room banter, like guys, you know, razzing each other and, you know, pushing each other in workouts and just that day to day. Like we look back at these workouts we did (laughs) and we're like, how did we get through that? Like I meet up with some of my old teammates at, uh, I'll see him at games or, um, grab dinner with them, um, wherever. And we'll just be reminiscent. Like how, like looking back, like, I don't know if I could do that again. Like, and I, I could do that again, but in your mind, you realize how much mental toughness comes into play when it comes to, you know, conditioning for college football. And the the day to day practice, the two a days, when it's a hundred degrees outside, like that, that grind, and you're like, wow, I I got through that. Like looking back, it looks like it could have been impossible, but just that reminder of when you have a good team around you, it really fuels you up, and you can do a lot more things as a group uh, than you could as an individual. Yeah, definitely those shared experiences, and especially the sucky shared experiences, yeah. <laughs> I found like build the best teams and make the best friendships. Yeah, you're like, can you believe we ran 50 hills? We had this hill on the back of the stadium. Uh, it's no longer there because they filled the stadium in. Um, but it was this hill that was like, I don't know, 30 yards long, and it was at like a really steep. I mean, it was like a 60 degree angle. And it, it kind of got steeper as you went further up and we had to run 50 of the, it was like, as soon as you got to the top, you went down to the bottom and just doing this stuff over and over again. Like looking back, you're like, how do we do that? It's, it's the, um, like you said, the, the sucky experiences really bond you together. They definitely do for us. It's being out in the field, in the rain, laying in the mud. 
And it's like, oh. you know what? That's just so miserable. But after you're done with it, that's like all you and your buddies can talk about. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I think being in those circumstances really teaches you, I guess, perspective on it. One way that I would, I don't know, get through. It's not the right word. <laughs> Maybe it is. Um, but just knowing that, Hey, this is going to end like this workout, like it's going to suck for two hours, but then it's not going to suck anymore after two hours. So just embrace the suck and move forward. <laughs> that's a great way to look at it. It will be over eventually. I mean, that's, yeah, you just got to keep fighting, keep pushing and it won't suck pretty soon, you know? Yeah. <laughs> now that's a great optimistic way to look at it. I'm going to have to tell that to some of uh, the people in my unit here. Awesome. For, um, so you've been in sports most of your life and now no longer playing football. Are you, do you find yourself as a coach or a mentor to other young men who were once in your shoes? Yeah. Yeah. I've actually, um, I started coaching a couple local high school kids, um, here in Indy, uh, last year, last summer. Um, just cause I, I really have a passion for coaching long snappers, um, and training them because it's a skill that changed my life. Like I got a full ride scholarship. I met my wife. I got to play in the NFL all because I knew how to throw a ball between my legs. Um, and so to be able to teach that skill to a kid who's willing to put in the work, um, is like, I, I love it. You know, it's like a passion project of mine. Um, just to see that impact and to see a life changed. It's it, it's based off their work, but to be able to, you know, communicate that skill and to teach it well, um, it, it's so rewarding. And it has to feel good to be able to leverage your experience and the things that you've learned from all your previous coaches and and kind of impart that on that young man and pass that off to the next generation. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like my, my whole coaching model is based off my long snapping coach, um, who I started to go to, gosh, I guess it was 11 years ago is when I started. Um, it was, it was the March before my senior year of high school and, uh, coach Ben Bernard. And he really laid a foundation, laid a model for work. Um, and that, that kind of daily grind where it was like, you're snapping four, four nights a week no exceptions. Like you're there. Like, yeah, you can go on a vacation or whatever, but it's like, you don't skip. It wasn't optional. Like you're there with 20 other guys and you're snapping a hundred balls a night after you do an hour and a half workout. And it was like, it, it laid the foundation. It was like, this is what it takes, especially at a specialized position that I was at that required so much muscle memory. I think by the time I got offered, I, I had probably put in I don't know, 10,000 reps at least um, of, of snapping because that's the kind of dedication and drive that it takes. And so really taking his model um, of hard work and dedication and, you know, I, I've worked with kids who, you know, they're, they're willing to pay for coaching, but they're not willing to work. And I, I've told them, I'm like, I, I won't work with you. Like, keep your money because you don't want to be here. And if you don't want to be here, I don't want to be here. Like I'm making the effort, like not to toot my own horn, but I'm a, you know, former NFL and division one long snapper. 
And it's like, and you're, yes, you're paying me for your time, but I want to see an effort. And if I'm not seeing that, it, it doesn't matter how much you pay me. I'm not going to work with you. Yeah, definitely. And there's other people that maybe aren't able to work with you because this person who's really not willing to put an effort is taking up your time. Right. Yeah. Like I, I would not charge players if they're, if they're coming and they're working and their parents are in a financial bind. It's like, I'm not going to, that, that's fine. Like, just keep working. Like, I, I want you to get a scholarship. You know, that's the goal. I want your school to be paid for so you don't have student loans. And it's like, you will be just, just that alone will put you so far ahead of your peers when you graduate. Yeah, that, that's life changing. I mean, not having school debt. And I see so many people around who still into their 30s are, are making payments on their college tuition. And it just blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's at a place to where you have so many people going to college. Now you have to get a master's. It's like the, it's the same kind of concept. It's like the supply and demand that the supplies way up. And so, you know, the, it's, it's not as valuable, the, the return on it, like you've got to do more now. And so it's like, how are you going to set yourself apart in the workplace? The uh, one of my mentors who I still have the privilege to work with the three rules of success in the military. And I think at life, and I did an episode about this, but step one is get to work. Step two is work harder. And step three is keep working. It's like, that's all you got to do. You got to put in the time, effort and care and try hard. And most of the time you will do well and succeed. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's really it. But people don't want to hear that. People think there's always a shortcut and it's like, no, there's, there's no shortcut for hard work and dedication. It's like, you've got to be able to be willing to put it in. And especially as a leader, you have to demonstrate that you are, that you work hard. Because if you're just telling people what to do, but you're not pulling your own weight, that's not going to, it's not going to uh, resonate. People are going to look at you like a hypocrite. And it's like, you've got to be willing to put that effort in and stick your neck out for your guys so that when you are yelling at them later for them not doing their job, they know in the back of their mind, yeah, well, boss, he's got our backs. So he's got my best interest. So I'm going to make this correction. I'm going to make this change. That's where you really get the return is where people know that you're going to like in crunch time, you're going to stick your neck out for them. And so they'll do the same for you. That, that's all the questions I have for you. Is there anything else that you want to say that we weren't able to get to yet? No, I, I mean, I, I really love what you're doing. Um, I don't know. Maybe I, <laughs> I kind of want to hear like your perspective on, uh, some of the leaders that you had worked with, like what are some of the lessons you learned? Sorry, I'm turning the table on you. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, so I have the unique experience after my wife and I both did four years of army ROTC in college. I went into the guard reserve component. She went active duty. So I was in the civilian world and went to graduate school and then worked in the civilian world for a while. So I've kind of had civilian leaders and then military leaders and in the civilian world, I've had a couple good ones, but I've had mostly just terrible human beings of, mm -hmm. of men as leaders, like just yeah. really terrible, degrading, swearing, making you feel like you're two inches tall. Mm. And then coming in the on the active duty side of the army in 2017, here in the 101st um, Airborne Division, I have had like some of the most phenomenal leaders that I think are in the army, like 
some of the absolute, absolute best. I'm so blessed and privileged to have worked with a lot of these men and women. So, I mean, just like I told you, my one mentor, the three steps of success, um, he is someone I look up to, I admire, is just a hell of a man, learned so much from him. And then some of my other bosses and peers are just so selfless and willing to willing to teach you, coach you, help you. And it's like such a team game. We're just all in it together. And it's just so motivating and encouraging. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree. Um, it's almost like once you get out of high level athletics, and I, I've heard this from some of my buddies who are in the military um, as well, that echo what you just said. It's almost like the rest of the world operates at like a C level where you're forced to operate at an A plus level. And so once you get out of it, you're like, where, what is everyone doing? Like, why is everyone slacking? Like, why does my boss not care? You know, it, and it's like you, you've seen, not to say that every coach I played for was perfect, but once you see leadership at a high level when there's, you know, relatively high stakes, um, and, and that whole, you know, it, it's a lot different when you're in the military, but to see how people operate and then you see how people operate in the regular workforce, you're like, wow, this is, <laughs> it's so different. I thought everybody, you know, worked like this and it really makes you appreciate a good leader when you come across one. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, not everybody in the army is perfect. I've met lazy, um, entitled pricks, but mm-hmm. I mean, for the most part, I mean, we had, we just have a hell of a group of people here. I mean, when I was in Afghanistan, uh, with our unit, like th- we just had like, everybody was just so supportive and on the same page and it was just a phenomenal experience. So again, I just couldn't be any more lucky and I'm just extremely blessed that I have some of the best leaders in the military. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That, that's really good to hear. Th- thanks so much for having me on. It's really been it's been a great time. Well, it's been a privilege to have you on. And just as we wrap up here, uh, I'd love for you to tell the listeners what you and your wife, Jordan, are up to with your business. Um, yeah, so we're in the process of, so I've, I've been producing um, her podcast, the She Podcast, um, for just over a year now. Um, and we, we're kind of getting to the point to where we need to scale and outsource. And so um, we're in the process of hiring a podcast producer as well as an operations um, person um jordan's getting ready to launch a uh a course for um creative entrepreneurs basically give them the uh step by steps for everything you need to start a business like as far as tax like what you need to do for taxes because there's so many people who just want to open up an etsy store or whatever and you know they make 25 grand and then at the end of the year they didn't save for taxes and they get a bill from uncle sam <laughs> and so just just lots of stuff like the order in which to do things um you know you don't need to get your logo first you know you need to register your business as llc or whatever it is um depending on what you want so it's really a, it's a comprehensive course that's coming out next uh next month um she's also in the process of writing her second book um and i've kind of gotten into a little bit of social media consulting um, on my side of things. So it's been a really great year of working together. Um, that's a, that's a whole nother podcast episode, but, um, yeah, that, that's, that's what we're up to. That's awesome, man. My wife and I are trying to do something similar down the road. So I respect the heck out of what you guys are doing. 
and love your wife's podcast. I didn't know you were the producer. So man, you, you have some creative skill in you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I uh, came on working last year and just started helping out where I could and found that that was a need and amongst some other things. And, um, yeah, you just gotta, you gotta find where you're needed and, uh, start putting in work. Start putting in work. That's right. The three ways to be successful in life, all of them involve work. So Matt, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a privilege, man. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Get Heard podcast. There are literally hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there. And thank you so incredibly much for taking the last 40 minutes or so to listen to my podcast. If you want to learn more about who I am and what I'm doing, please check out the show notes. If you really like this podcast, please subscribe. There is a link in the player that you are listening to my podcast with for you to subscribe. And if you really, really enjoy what I'm doing and want to take that to the next level, my Patreon link to donate to the show is included in the link right below the podcast player. So even if it's just $1 a month that you would be so generous to give, I would absolutely appreciate it and be so grateful for that. So thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.